Hello and welcome to another episode of Diehards and Glory Hunters. Um, it's been a little while since the last episode, um, but I'm hoping that we'll be making up for lost time in this one. Um, so as always, we will start with the scouting report. And obviously, um, part of the reason for the delay in, in this episode is that I've been distracted by the glorious return of, the, of English football and particularly the Premier League. It's fantastic to have football back in this country. Um, and before the return of the Premier League, a lot of the players that I've been focusing on in my scouting reports have been players playing in the Bundesliga that may be um, coming over to, to these shores. I actually decided to do um, someone who sort of ticks the complete opposite box. And that is um, Jude Bellingham, who plays for Birmingham City. And that's because he is on the brink, according to a number of um, uh, football sources, that he's he's on the brink of joining Borussia Dortmund. Um, he's only 16, so he really is um, one of the youngest and most exciting talents out there. And I have to say, I've not seen a huge amount of him. And again, perhaps he was another of those players whose um, hype sort of um, preceded him. Um, but looking into him a bit, I think the really, really interesting and exciting thing about him and why there is so much of, of this hype is that I assumed, possibly naively, that he was another one off the sort of endless production line we have in this country of excellent, fast and tricky wingers. Um, and in fact, Birmingham themselves produced um, Damari Gray, who's, who's currently at Leicester and possibly hasn't set the world alight as he was maybe expected to when he made that move. Um, but what I didn't realise about Bellingham is that he can also play and will probably end up playing in central midfield. And so the ability that he's got in terms of beating players and going past players is, I mean, uh, in central midfield, that ability is very much coveted by the top teams. And it's especially in the England national team, it's always been sort of cried out for as something that we've lacked. So um, that's why, I mean, it's been obviously been Bellingham's breakout season. And I do think, sorry to any Manchester United fans watching, because they're the other club that he's been linked with. But I do think that Dortmund is the perfect next step for him if he does go on to make that move um, in terms of learning and developing his, um, his immense talent. OK, so now the scouting report's done. I'm going to welcome our fan of the week. And that is Chand. Hello, Chand. How are you doing? Hi, hello, George. And Chand, um, obviously, first question, who is your team? Who's the team you support? It's Coventry City. Coventry City. And um, possibly a, a little um, first on the podcast, actually, in that for the first time, we're talking about a team that not only has finished the season, so we can talk about, well, not quite a whole season, but certainly one that won't have any further games in, but a very successful one at that for Coventry City. Indeed, yes. They're the League One champions this year, which is an amazing achievement, considering they haven't been playing at their home ground. Um, yeah, absolutely. And that was going to be my first question to you. Um, just, I mean, obviously I'm aware of it, but I don't know how many of the other listeners will be. So just explain a bit about why it is you're not playing at, the, at your home ground. Uh, so many years ago in the 1990s, we were a regular feature in the Premier League and our chairman then decided um, that we should have a new stadium that suits European football. So he developed some plans with the local council in Coventry to build a, a stadium that was going to be called Arena 2000. Um, and mm -hmm. as, the, 
as with all these projects, it was hugely delayed. Um, and the stadium eventually was opened in 2005. But what the club hadn't bargained on in was that um, during that time, they would be relegated out of the Premier League. Um, right. We were relegated on the 5th of May 2001, a day that I can still remember very vividly. Um, okay. <laughs> and we, we've never been back in the top flight since. Uh, so this new stadium um, needed funding by the council because the club couldn't afford to, to finish it. Um, and then we had this arrangement where the, the football club were paying the council rent. Um, and we were in the championship and we were regular team in the championship mm -hmm. almost a decade before we then were relegated again into League One. And at this point, we were going into administration and couldn't afford the rent. Um, and so the council sold the stadium to the rugby club Wasps, who yes. moved from London and took over the stadium. Um, we went off to play in Northampton for a season, which was awkward because it's 38 miles away from Coventry. Yeah. Um, somehow managed to avoid relegation, but then inevitably did get relegated down into League Two. Um, came back up through the playoffs, returned to the Rico Arena, um, and then we had a falling out with Wasps, who... Um, the, allegedly, we, it, it was a rent dispute that it revolves around um, the amount that should be paid by a, a League One club versus they're being charged as a championship club. Um, yeah. So th through this saga, the club threw the toys out the pram and said, all right, we'll go and play in Birmingham then, um, which we all thought was a joke. But then they did actually go and move to Birmingham and have been playing at Birmingham City since last season. Mm -hmm. um, and ironically, we were drawn against Birmingham City in the FA Cup. Yes, I remember. Third round. And we we were the home team. So we were there in Birmingham's home end while their fans went in their away end. <laughs> uh, but to achieve promotion for, from there was an amazing achievement. Yes, Absolutely. Um, and I, I, I suppose it's almost until recently gone under the radar, actually, or certain maybe that's just me speaking for myself. But I, they did a feature on Sky Sports News um, this week. I'm sure it's been running for a little while um, about how Coventry, obviously, um, during these times, you can't have an open top bus parade or anything like that. But they've done sort of a, a virtual celebration and they were interviewing um, Mark Robbins, who's the manager. Um, and just sort of stressing just how brilliant a job that is to not have, I mean, obviously you have some kind of home support, but to not be playing in a stadium that is your permanent home and all of the sort of associations that and the kind of romance that um, home grounds have often um, with football clubs. Um, that Yeah, that really is an, an incredible, incredible achievement. Um, so my next question to you, as, as I always ask, is and um, why did you start supporting, when did you start? supporting Coventry and why? Um, so I grew up in Coventry in the 80s um, and mm -hmm. I was, primarily I was a cricket fan. Although I played footy in the playgrounds, I wouldn't really uh, follow it on TV. Okay. Um, and then the 1986 World Cup was on in the summer 
And I got really involved in that with Gary Lineker scoring a hat-trick, Diego yes. Maradona's Hand of God, which left me in right. tears. Um, and so I got really, really into football and thought, well, I live in Coventry, surely I should support Coventry. And then amazingly, the following season, they went and won the FA Cup, the, four, the first trophy in 104-year history. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, I wasn't old enough to go to Wembley because I was only about 11 back then. Mm -hmm. uh, my mum wouldn't let me go to Wembley, but uh, I had a great time watching that on TV. And then I thought, well, that's it. We've cracked it. We're now going to be in Europe every year. Juventus and all those guys will be visiting us. Um, uh, and had no idea what a rocky road it would be. Yeah. We didn't win another trophy until 2017. <laughs> 30 years later. <laughs> And I assume that was that is that the EFL trophies? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, that was the the, the Checker Trade trophy. Right, uh, yeah. And we beat Oxford in the final for our, uh, we we took at the time I think it was the biggest EFL final attendance. Uh, but it's it's since been surpassed because Portsmouth played Sunderland. Yes. And uh, they have huge followings. Okay, so as you said, yeah, it has been a um a checkered road of supporting um coventry so we'll, we'll go into we'll start with not so quick fire quick fire questions because i'm therefore interested to know if we start with favorite player ever um where and this may you know, obviously shed, shed some light on when you consider the best times to be a coventry fan so who is your favorite player of your time supporting them um the only player that i've ever had uh uh, whose name I've ever had on my Coventry shirt was Dion Dublin. Okay. Um, and he was our main striker for between 94 and 98. Mm -hmm. uh, amazing footballer. Um, All-round top bloke as well, allegedly. Um, yeah. Now now the host of Homes Under the Hammer. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> he In 1998, he was the joint top scorer in the Premier League with Michael Owen and Chris Sutton. Right. And, and I was convinced that he was going to go to to the World Cup to play for England in France in 98, but mm -hmm. people didn't pick him. Uh, but I did get to see him play for England uh, at Wembley in a friendly. Um, so I went down in my cov top with Dublin on the back of my shirt and uh, quite a lot of Coventry fans that day. Very, very good. But yeah, Dion's the hero. Unfortunately, he's not very well liked by some cov fans because... He left us for Aston Villa, our arch rivals. Mm -hmm. um, and some people haven't forgiven him for that, but I still recognise all the goals that he scored to keep us in the Premier League in 1998, uh, between 94 and 98. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in fairness, uh, Dion Dublin is obviously also a member of the 100 Club, um, which is, you know, well, there are a number in it now, but it, that's a pretty exclusive and impressive achievement. Um, and the other thing, you touched on him um, allegedly being a top bloke. I was watching Football Code Focus just the other day. That's why it's in my head. Um, and he was talking about, obviously, everything that's been going on at the moment with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I just thought for about he spoke for about three or four minutes about his own experiences. And um, often, I think, obviously, pundits get a lot of stick when they, um, you know, uh, say the wrong thing that fans agree with. But I, I genuinely thought it was a really powerful 
three or four minutes of um, television when he was speaking and um, he was very eloquent and expressed himself really, really well. Um, and so, yes, obviously I haven't met him personally, but um, I agree with you, certainly in the way that he handled himself uh, in that situation. Um, yeah, it came across as a really, really good guy. Yeah, he was very versatile as well as a player. He could play at the back as well as up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for a while he was used as a centre-back when we had issues. Oh, right, we, I didn't we know were that. on a budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, I, I think the reverse happened um, with Blackburn once where Sam Allardyce played one of his centre-halves up front. But yeah, you don't, you don't often hear of strikers playing as centre-backs. No, and one thing he was very good at was putting away penalties. Um, and so when he wasn't picked for France 98, and when we eventually went out in, in penalties against uh, Argentina, yeah, I, I spent the rest of that evening crying into my pint, telling my mates that we should have had Dion in the squad. Because um, he would have missed a penalty. I'm trying to think. Um, from Obviously, Owen and Shearer went to the World Cup. Do you, do you happen to know that who were the other strikers that were picked ahead of him? I think it might have been Ferdinand and Ian Wright. As in Les Ferdinand? Yeah. Oh, okay, right. So I guess possibly Ferdinand was the one picked ahead of him. Would that be the player most likely on Dublin? I reckon so, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so we'll move on to, um, obviously, back to the current moment. And on the back of a um, a very impressive season, who is your favourite player in the current side? There's a guy in goal called Marco Morosi, <clears throat> who um, mm-hmm. doesn't really get enough credit for what a good shot stopper he is. Um, I've seen him. I've not seen him have any bad games, and I've been to quite a lot of games this season, mostly away games, as I can't really face the trek from London up to Birmingham. Yeah, uh, but I've been to a lot of away games, and he's always been solid uh, as a keeper. So um, I'm not sure where we signed him from, but he, he he's been good all season. Okay, it's it's interesting. You've beautifully set me up for one of the um, stats that I found when I was looking into Coventry doing my um, my prep for the podcast, and actually some amazing statistics really when you look at your season um, as a whole, in that you've scored the fewest goals of anyone in the top six. Um, but also conceded the fewest by a fair few as well. And you've actually won 14 games this season by the odd goal, which is that's exceedingly high for a team that's obviously gone on to um, win the whole thing. Um, So that, I mean, that sort of is testament to, I I assume, the defenders as well, but in particular, um, the keeper. Did you say Morosi? Yes, Marco Morosi, yeah. Right. There's been quite a lot of 1-0 wins, yeah. I'm not sure how many, but... um it kind of crept up on us because at Christmas we were going on this fairly decent run. But then after, I think, the first week of December, they just didn't lose at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in, in the end, they were sailing clear with, with a game in hand and I think five points on the team in second place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, you're absolutely bang on. You haven't lost a game in um, 2020. And obviously, um, obviously, some fixtures haven't been played after March. But even then, that's a very impressive record. Yeah, the, um, it, it, Arsenal were the other team that were undefeated in 2020 until they lost the other night to, I think it was Man City. Right. So in, in all four divisions of England, you are now uh, the only one that's managed it. Yep. 
Well, there we go. That's a very impressive achievement as well. Um, so well, before we move on to another of the quick fire questions, I just wondered, um, with the current team, how do you think it will fare in the championship? And is there any other players you want to give a shout out to, to perhaps look out for? Um, I think the championships is going to be tough. Uh, we don't have much in the transfer kitty. We know mm-hmm. Mark Robbins never has, which is why his achievements have been amazing over the last three years. Uh, to to bring home three trophies in four years with such a tight budget, I think his he spent something like one hundred fifty thousand pounds. Right. Um, so there are a couple of guys who I think are going to do quite well. Um, there is a chap um, up front called Matty Godden. Yes. Um, who is a good goal scorer. Um, I'm trying to remember where we signed him from. I can't remember, actually. Uh, I, I can tell you just because I looked at it today. It was Peterborough. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, so Godden up front. Um, and there is uh, a good midfielder called Jordan Shipley. Yeah. Who looks very promising. He's got a good uh, long shot and very popular with the fans. He's mm-hmm. come from Academy. Right. Um, so they're two to watch. But as as with a lot of um, the last few seasons, there's a complete merry-go-round of players. And so there's a lot of chopping and changing of personnel throughout the summer. Um, so, uh, yeah, it could be interesting um, to see who, who they pick up. But I know they don't have any money to spend. Mm. And hopefully, and I don't know if you have um, any information on this, Will is there any chance you will be playing in your actual stadium come come the championship season next year? It, it's as I understand, it's unconfirmed at the moment. I really hope it is back in Coventry because mm-hmm. I honestly think we can get thirty-two thousand bums in seats for yeah a lot of these games. There's some big Midlands games with West Brom and potentially Villa as well. Mm-hmm. They would come down, um, and so yeah, attendance-wise, uh, commercially, it would make sense to to move back to Coventry, but. Whether they can agree that with the Wasps owners in time, I don't know. Um, I have a brick on the wall outside the stadium with my name on. Really? Okay. Um, from some friends and I bought bricks to commemorate the building of the new stadium, mm-hmm. um, and it's in a it's in a place where it's not too far from where I grew up. Um, so it's quite a, an emotional location for me. Very near my mum's house. Mm-hmm. Perfect for me to pop in and see her before a match. Um, And it's well serviced by a train station right outside. So, um, yeah, a lot easier to get to than St Andrews. Uh, For anyone who's been to St Andrews, they'll know that if you walk from Birmingham New Street, it's a good 25-minute or half-an-hour walk. That eats into Uh, your thinking time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and yeah, no, it was really interesting to hear you talk about that, actually, because I, I, I think for a lot of fans and a lot of clubs, it's sort of inconceivable, really, to to be playing home games at somewhere that you don't associate as your actual home. Because like you were explaining, um, so much of the home game experience are those um, personal and emotional connections that you have to the place itself um obviously in a previous podcast we talked to a couple of west ham fans about how unhappy they are about moving away from 
Upton Park. Um, but it must be even more frustrating when it's not like the stadium's not even available to you anymore. It, it's it's right there and you're not able to go into it. Yeah, and it's it's such a beautiful stadium. You know, it was used used for the London 2012 Olympics. It held football mm-hmm. there. Uh, amazing venue. Really deserves top flight football, really. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the other thing I was going to say is that I think certainly perhaps people of my generation forget how big a club Coventry is. Um, in that, as you're saying, if you if you know if you can get thirty two thousand um, in the Rico every week, that you know that's obviously dwarfing a fair few Premiership clubs. Um, and obviously, um, with the history of FA Cup winners and everything like that. You know, it wasn't that long ago that Coventry were a relatively established Premier League side. So, you know, for for a team like that to be languishing, obviously not not anymore, but in in League Two and or League One below, um, yeah, that 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 is that is a, a real shame. And it's, it's it, I think even for a neutral, it's good to see them on the rise. Though I suppose it's you know never clear how long that will last. Yeah, we were founder members of the Premier League in '92. We were in the top flight between 1967 and 2001 uh, before falling down the leagues. Um, and the only positive that I can take out of the last 19 years of not being in the Premier League is that there's only about five or six football grounds in the country that I've not visited now because I've seen, seen them play almost everyone. Right, OK. Well, I suppose that is it. That, you know, it's a silver lining, isn't it? <laughs> And there are some very bad grounds up and down the country in the lower leagues. I can assure you of that. Okay. Oh, well, okay. Well, uh, this isn't a scheduled question, but out, purely out of interest, what's is there one that sticks out? Um, AFC Wimbledon's not great. I mean, it's a great ground, but it's the facilities don't, don't ever use the toilets there. Right. <laughs> I'll bear that in mind. <laughs> um, okay. Great grounds that don't have any. Um, seats or cover for the rain. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going to an FA Cup match in Morecambe where it rained throughout the entire match and I just felt so ill. And it was, I think it was a goldish draw. Oh God, that's even worse. What I'm doing here on a Saturday I've, and I've got a huge long train journey back to London to negotiate as well. That is the nature of being a football fan beautifully summed up, I think. Because of course it would be a nil-nil after all that as well. Yeah, there's been plenty of uh, low-scoring games. Coventry never involved in high-scoring thrillers. <laughs> well, yeah, but that, as I said, the stats for that season would would sort of, um, you know, adhere to that. Um, okay, so moving on to the next question, and um, I think a couple of people on the podcast have sort of um, answered this in different ways, and that's either the player that you would sign right now, or a player that you would have signed another point. Um, in in recent or far away history, and why? Um, sorry, George, can I have that question again? Sorry. Yes. So basically, it's in the current team. Is there a player from another side that you would like to sign, and who would that be? Or, as we've, um, I think it was uh, one of the West Ham fans chose to answer that question as a player that you wish you had signed in the in the past okay um in the current championship um my second team is fulham 
and okay. I go down to watch them uh, sometimes, and I really like the look of two players there, uh, Tom Kearney and uh, Mitrovic. Right, yeah. I don't think Coventry would have the funds to sign either of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're both very attractive players, and they get the job done, and uh, that's why Fulham are sitting high up there in the Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then player from the past, um, the one of the best players that I saw play against Coventry was Gareth Bale. Okay. Uh, we had an FA Cup match against Tottenham. Um, and I think our manager, I can't remember who the manager was, but I think he chose to put three men on Bale throughout the match. <laughs> right, yeah. And Bale was just taking a mickey. It was just amazing. And it was, mm-hmm. I think it was the following season he went off to Real Madrid. Right, yes. Now, I, that season that he, the final season he had at Spurs, I think that's uh, personally, that's got to go down as one of the great individual seasons I've seen from a player. It just seemed like every time he got the ball, he'd either beat three players or smash a shot into the top corner at the sort of regularity that you just, you just did not see on a regular basis. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It reminded me of playground games when a big kid comes and, t- comes and joins in and he's way better than you. Yeah. He was just way better than all of the players on the pitch that day, including mm-hmm. his colleagues. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, he ca- I think he carried them that season, um, Bale. Um, okay, n- next question. I'm very interested to hear the answer to this one, and that is favourite match of all time. Um, favourite match uh, is in 1997, on the final day of the season, we, mm-hmm. we had to go to White Hart Lane um, and win. And we also needed Sunderland to lose and Middlesbrough not to win. Right. And Sunderland had a fairly easy game like Wimbledon and... Middlesbrough had a tough game, Leeds, I remember. And we had Spurs away and we just thought we're never going to do this because we need to win and they have to not win. Um, and kickoff was delayed because the too many Coventry fans turned up outside. Um, and so we kicked off the game uh, a bit later than everyone else. Um, by half time, we were up 2-1. And I'm right. pretty sure one of those goals was Dion. Yeah. I spent the whole of the second half, smoked, smoked an entire packet of cigarettes. <laughs> okay. Smoking the stands. Um, and somehow it remained 2-1 two, two, final score. But um, the other results had come through with 15 minutes to go that uh, Wimbledon had beaten Sunderland and Leeds and Middlesbrough had been a draw. So we had 15 agonising minutes to not concede against Tottenham mm-hmm. um, with Teddy Sheringham and various other great players up front. Uh, and we somehow managed to keep them out and uh, stayed up final day of the season. And that was that was amazing. Mm. Um, the season before, we'd stayed up on the last day as well, uh, only on goal difference, because Man City had thought they were safe. And the Man City manager had told the players to just stroke the ball around because the results were going their way. 
Right. When in reality, they were actually going down if they weren't, didn't score. And so this was all before the internet. So people were relying on the radio and stuff. Um, so, yeah, we had two seasons where we were surviving on the very final game of the season. The yeah. The first one was just amazing, the great escape. So that's my favourite. Uh, and also Spurs was the first venue for my first away game back in the early 90s as well. So very memorable ground for me. It's a shame that that ground's gone now. Yes, no, absolutely. Um, though I think <laughs> um, when talking about Wimbledon and away days at Morecambe, the what they've got now at, at the new White Hot Lane, I'm, it's, it's a bit of a world away from that. Yeah, um, and within that great escape, there was another twist in the season where at Christmas, Middlesbrough were due to play Blackburn and they couldn't get a team together because of, of a yes. football and so I think it was Brian Robson, who was the manager of Middlesbrough, just said, but we can't play the game. And the Premier League said, well, we're going to dock you three points if you do that. And so they were docked three points. And, and that was the difference at the end of the season that sent them down rather than us. Yeah, I have heard of that before. But that is, that's amazing, actually, when you think of the fine margins that um, that's come down to. Um, also, one, one other question, um, which we, we, we've got on quickfire, is uh, favourite manager. And it's kind of occurred to me, because am I right in saying, was this the Gordon Strachan era at Coventry? It was, yes. Yeah, he was our player manager and then became our manager. Um, and, and how does he rank um, as among your favourite managers? Or, and is he number one? I was interested to know. Um, he, he was uh, very high up there for me mm -hmm. um, but he had quite a lot of funds to play with mm -hmm. he it wasn't common for Coventry to make multi-million pound signings until he came along so um, he had it a lot easier than the current manager Mark Robbins right um, Mark Robbins has operated on a very very tight budget while we've been on the brink of administration and not playing in our home ground and he's brought us uh, out of League Two into the Championship. So uh, hopefully he will remain our manager, but he's, he's my favourite manager. OK, well, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, um, a t you know, that's testament to the job that, that Mark Robbins has done. And I, I, I don't know if you all know the name, because on the Sky Sports News thing that I mentioned, the manager of the FA Cup winning side um, that you alluded to, um, actually phoned Mark Robbins or, or they were they were talking over the over Zoom or something and just tell him what a good job it, it um what a good job he'd done. And I, I tell you if anyone's got a spare two minutes, do watch it because it's a very, very heartwarming moment. And Mark Robbins, you can tell, is um obviously moved by the praise of a manager of an FA Cup winning uh, manager. Yeah, that was John Sullett. Um he, he's a That's legend. It. Yeah. Absolute legend. Yeah. Okay. Well, Chan, that's been it's been absolutely uh, lovely to have you on the show, um, and a real insight into um, a, a sort of a club at a very different stage, or a club that's been through lots of different stages um, during the time that you've supported them. So, thank you so much for that, um, and for everyone listening. Um, obviously, do still get in touch. Um, we've got a number of um, fans lined up to come on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more. Um, and I'm sure I'll be um, speaking to you again soon. Thank you, Chand.